This is the question that we're striving to answer in the lesson this morning. What is your purpose in life? Um, and if you didn't get a handout, there's some young men who are going around with copies of that. Uh, but even if you don't want a handout, that's okay. If you have a scrap of paper, uh, even if you want to get out the uh, notes uh, app in your phone, I want you to see if you can write something down for this. What is your purpose in life? And when I say you're, I'm making some assumptions. I'm making the assumption that you're a Christian, that you know God, that you've been baptized into Christ, that you've devoted your life to Him. Um, and if you've not done that, then maybe we can talk again uh, after this sermon is over, and I might have a thing or two to say to you at the very end. But assuming that you're a Christian, what is your purpose in life? Now, I'm going to give you some time to think about that, and I'm going to give you a chance to write that down here in just a little bit. But before we answer that question, I want to remind you that this purpose is not something that you can just come up with on your own. You should be guided by the one who created you. Uh, Sean, in his comments, reminded us of, of Christ as our creator. And so when we think about God the Father, we think about God the Son, we think about the Holy Spirit who, who created us, uh, who made us, what, what is their purpose for us? But even more specifically, when we think about being recreated in Jesus Christ, we think about that we are Christians. What is God's purpose in recreating us in the image of His Son? God informs us about many things regarding our purpose in this life. I'm just going to put this whole list up here on the board. Uh, that's a little harder to see on this screen, but you have it there on your handout. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 to start. Ephesians chapter 2. God prepares and assigns our purpose. And again, this isn't just when we're created in the image of God, as all people are, but specifically when we become Christians. When we are saved by grace through faith, that, that gift of God and working of God. In verse 10 it says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, we'll look in Matthew chapter 5 here in just a moment, but we see that God prepares and assigns our purpose. He intends to tell us what it is that we're supposed to do. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That the designer and the creator is the one who tells us what it is we're supposed to do. Uh, a weed eater. A weed eater is a great tool, isn't it? Uh, maybe you don't enjoy mowing your lawn, just like I don't particularly enjoy it, but I'd rather mow my yard with a weed eater than without one, right? Uh, we were in Puerto Rico this last week, and we were driving through this little village, and I saw this guy, he had, he had some land, and there was a big steep hill where he couldn't get a mower, and he had a machete out. He had a machete out, and he's going after those weeds back and forth, back and forth, and he was pretty quick. But you know, the first thing I thought, that dude needs a weed eater. Uh, that tool is a, in, incredibly effective to be used for that purpose, right? To get to places where your mower can't. And, and maybe you can use it for other purposes. You could theoretically mow your whole yard with a weed eater. But that's not really what it was intended to do. That's not really its purpose. And right there in the name, you see it, weed eater, right? Those weeds that you can't get to, this contraption will eat them up. But what about you? You have a name. You wear the name of Christ. You're a Christian. Doesn't it make sense that Christ is the one who defines you and gives you your purpose? 
And God is the one who gives us the ability to perform our purpose. We know that we can do it because God is the one who allows us to do that. You have scripture references on the screen, but notice here in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, obviously, this is referring in part to miraculous spiritual gifts, but also to the day-to-day gifts that we have as Christians. Verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, here in these verses down through verse 12, tell us, That God equips us with the ability to perform our purpose. And he gives us the opportunity to perform it. That church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3 had an open door that was placed before them. And who put it there? Christ did. Christ gave them these opportunities. We think about the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Each one was given talents, units of money, opportunities to work for their master based on their ability, the text says. And God doesn't just give us ability and opportunities and leave us to our own devices. He guides us in how to best perform this purpose that he gives us. He gives us truth, and that truth shall set us free. Again, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 5 to think about our purpose here in just a second. But the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it's practical in telling us how to perform the purpose that he gives us. That our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And in order to do that, here's what that looks like practically in your life. The whole Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, is about guiding us to perform our purpose. God gives the increase in our labors for that purpose. He rewards us in that purpose when we diligently seek him. And all of these things are to his glory that others may see our good works and glorify our our Father in heaven. Our purpose is God-prepared and God-given. So whatever you write here in just a second on your sheet or on a piece of paper or in your phone, it should reflect that. It should reflect that this purpose that I have as a Christian comes from Christ. It comes from God. So now turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. Lots of passages to which we could turn to talk about our purpose. But this is the way Jesus began his kingdom. And surely it's a good place for us to start in thinking about this purpose as well. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You, you Christians, you kingdom citizens, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is. It's clear from this statement about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing that our purpose deals with far more than just ourselves, that God is involved in this purpose. 
that others are involved in this purpose as well. And it's difficult for us to, to expand our thoughts sometimes beyond just what my purpose is to what my purpose is as it impacts everybody else. What my purpose is as it relates to God and His purpose for me. But when it comes to our relationship with the world as it's expressed in this passage, sometimes we as Christians go and run to two extremes. Sometimes the extreme to which we run is integration, that we become like the world. And maybe that starts with just being involved in non-sinful worldly things. I mean, that's part of life. We're all involved in work and play and so forth. But if we're not careful, what will happen is we'll be good citizens and we'll raise good kids who are good citizens. But ultimately, we and they dress like the world and talk like the world and have the same priorities as the world over the course of time. And if that happens, we can't fulfill our purpose. Because if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, what is it? And if we walk like the world and talk like the world, what are we if not worldly people? But the other extreme for that, we see the danger of this, we understand that. The other extreme might be isolation, that we just totally run from the world, that we reject the world totally. And so we focus on our own families, we focus on our own spirituality, maybe we focus on uh, these people right here in the church. The circle of the wagons kind of mentality, right? The world's dangerous, we need to protect ourselves from it. No friends with the world, we might even go that far. Don't have any friendship with the world. And what we're doing if we do that is we're telling all those people in the world that they can go to hell. Now, we wouldn't vocalize it that way, wouldn't we? We wouldn't dare. But that's what we're doing if we totally abandon the world, right? Our purpose here is to be salt and light to the world. And in order to do that, we must have contact with the world. And the phrase that I heard growing up, and maybe you've heard it too, and it's accurate, is that we are supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And that's not... A biblical phrase, but it's kind of a, a Frankenstein biblical phrase. Take a few concepts and put it together. It's accurate, but I want to suggest that ultimately that is incomplete, at least as far as it relates to our purpose. What are we supposed to be doing in the world, but not of the world? If we try and find balance between those two extremes, and, and balance obviously is found only in Christ, we know that the people of the world need us. They need us desperately. And yet at the same time, we can't conform ourselves to the world and be in, uh, integrated into that world. So what is it that we're trying to do in balance? Well, to use a phrase here from Matthew chapter 5, uh, illumination, right? That's where the balance is, that we are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 applies, implies a couple of things. Number one, it implies that the world is in danger of, of rotting. Uh, it's in danger of, of turning bad, just like something that isn't treated with salt. Maybe that it tastes bad or it needs seasoning like something without salt. It implies that the world is darkness and that darkness is in need of light. It implies that about the world. But it also implies, number two, that we are in the world impacting the world. What good is light that is hidden? That's the question that he asked. Do you light a lamp and put it under a basket? It does no good to anyone. What good is salt if it's not used or if it loses its seasoning where it's, it's not different than the thing that it's treating? It's good for nothing. Throw it out. And so what am I doing to fulfill this purpose? 
Am I salt and light? Do I have those qualities of godliness personally? And am I, I, I don't know if this is really the right way of putting it, but, but I want this to be active. Am I salting and am I lighting? That's what he says in that last verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Am I salt and light? Am I salting and lighting? Who I am and what my purpose in Christ is supposed to be. This should inform how I express my purpose, right? Okay, so do you have your purpose? Um, I'm going to give you, uh, this is all awkward for everybody, but just go with it. I'm going to stand up here and not say anything for, I'm going to go at least a minute, then we'll see how awkward that is. At least for a minute, I want you to contemplate. What is your purpose? I want you to put it in your own words. If you have something to write it down, even if it's in your phone, get that phone out. Last time you're going to hear me say that from the pulpit. Get your phone out and write in that notes app or whatever it is, what is your purpose as a Christian? Okay? Time begins now. If you're online, do the same thing with us, please. That's a minute. Not so long when you're actually doing something, is it? Uh, some of you were pretty inventive. I saw a few writing on their hand. That'll work, uh, at least temporarily. Uh, so this is the point where I go around and ask everybody what their purpose was, right? No, of course not. Uh, but I, I think you probably have something really good there. I'm sure as someone who's been a Christian for any length of time, you have some good idea of what your purpose is supposed to be. You can express that, probably in biblical terms. Uh, here's something that I wrote this down a long time ago and it's been modified just a little bit, but basically, uh, and you can nitpick this, I could nitpick yours too, but we're not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to put for my purpose. Glorify God and imitate Christ while on earth, go to paradise when I die and heaven on the judgment day, and influence as many other people as I can, especially my wife and kids, my brethren, toward Christ in heaven when he that's the purpose that I've been trying to live by for many, many years. Sometimes I do a good job with that. Sometimes I don't do a great job with that. But that's my purpose. And I know what my purpose is. And in all likelihood, we've been going for 13 minutes. In all likelihood, you probably knew what your purpose was, at least in pretty good terms, when I asked the initial question at the beginning of this lesson. 
So the second half of this lesson is really where I want to focus. You know your purpose. You've got it written down. Here's the question. Does your practice match your purpose? Does your life reflect that purpose? Do the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you think, the things that you spend money on, do they reflect that purpose that you wrote down? There's a quote that Stephanie found a number of years ago, and it's been something that we've repeated in our family. The grass is greener where you water it. Now, that's good to think about in terms of contentment. We know that the grass isn't always greener somewhere else. But I want you to think about it in terms of this purpose, the, the whole idea of does your practice match your, your purpose? Where are you watering? Where are you watering in your life, in your work, in your family? And does it match what you said your very purpose for existing? For being on this earth and taking up space and breathing oxygen, for being a Christian, does it match what that purpose is? We know that this is the way that it is with spiritual things. The grass is greener where you water it. Sure, you could float through life and hope to get some rain from now and then. Uh, a guilty conscience here that leads us towards spiritual things. Uh, a brush with God's creation there where we see God's creation. We think, wow, there must be a God and it, it drives us toward Him. Occasionally, maybe there's a worship service that impacts us or a, a sermon that piques our spiritual interest. And those things just kind of just happen to us as we float through life. But eventually, we must be more intentional than that. A purpose implies intentionality. We've got to water. And the Bible maybe puts it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you treasuring? Where's your heart? Well, that's where you're going to water. That's where you're going to invest in your own life. Um, I want you to turn now, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We know that watering is not just something that we do ourselves. Again, God is involved in this process. Others are involved in this process. But that's the metaphor that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and following. my Bible, the heading is watering and working, and that's a, a pretty good summation of what we're talking about. Paul says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one, or assigned to each one? I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. They're both working for the same goal, for the same purpose in the lives of other people. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. And maybe we're mixing our metaphors just a little bit here. But Paul was the one who converted them to the faith. And Apollos watered or built them up in the faith through his preaching and through his teaching. And they received that. They grew because of it. And God gave the increase in those things. Um, irrigation was, was common in the ancient world as, as it is in modern farming as well. Uh, every time I have the opportunity to fly back to where I grew up in West Texas, uh, you've probably flown somewhere similar and seen things like this. Who, raise your hand if you've seen this in the sky. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's like a patchwork quilt out there. You've got these parts uh, on the edges of these fields that are dry, dry, dry. 
And then you've got these irrigation pivots that go around in a circle, and it's green, green, green. The grass, or whatever other crop you're growing, is greener where you water it, right? Now, just as an aside, uh, you might enjoy these sites while you have them. In the next uh, 30 to 50 years, in all likelihood, everything's going to go to drip irrigation. And so even the corners of the fields are going to be used. Uh, and I'll have to come up with a new illustration when we get there, I guess. But we see this, and it's a vivid picture in our mind. The grass is brown where you don't water it, and that's the way it is with spiritual things. We need to set up our lives where spiritual things are getting watered. And that implies to all the normal things that we think about with our faith and families, uh, that we can just be exposed by being involved in, in attending worship services or or devoting time to being around Christians and attending Bible classes and going to gospel meetings or devotionals at people's homes and being involved in the men's or ladies' studies. And if we just do those things, we're going to be watered fairly well. Those are all good and vitally important things. And in times of plenty, when we're doing pretty well, that's probably enough to keep our spiritual grass mostly watered. But relying only on others to water our spiritual lives eventually will fall short. Am I watering my own spiritual life as well? Again, does your practice match your purpose? How much are you watering spiritual things and spiritual relationships and spiritual opportunities with spiritual people? How much, on the other hand, are you watering your social media accounts, your streaming services, your work? How much are you watering extracurriculars, young people? How much are you watering hobbies, all people? How much are you watering physical relationships without any spiritual thought being involved in those relationships? How much are you pursuing physical opportunities without even considering the spiritual implications and applications of those opportunities? You as an individual, does your practice match your purpose? What I'd like to do is ask you 10 questions. I just, 10's a good round number. Uh, you have these questions on the handout if you want to look on there. Um, we're not going to go into detail on any of these questions, and this list is my list. It's not a be-all, end-all. Uh, I think originally I had 15 or 16 before I said, okay, that's too much for a sermon. But just think about these things as a place to get started. For self-examination to answer this question, does my practice match my purpose? Ten questions to start evaluating my watering. Number one, I want you to suggest you reading passages like Matthew 5, 3 through 12, or Romans 12, 9 through 21, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, where it talks about uh, if you've put on the new man, you've got to put off some things and put on some things. Maybe 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, you add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, and so forth. There are lots of passages like that in the Bible that talk about our purpose, what it is we're supposed to be doing and who we're supposed to be. Do I have these qualities? Am I growing in these qualities? And if so, how? What am I actively doing to make sure that I am growing according to the purpose that God has given me? Number two, when was the last time? Again, our purpose isn't just about us. It impacts other people. We're salt and light to the world. So when was the last time you spoke to someone who you view 
Now, we have to do some judging here. We're trying to use righteous judgment. We know God is the ultimate judge of who's saved and who's lost. We're not putting ourselves in God's shoes. But if we're going to talk to people about the gospel, we're going to have to make some judgments in regard to their spiritual condition. So someone that you view as possibly unsaved, or maybe they've been saved but now they're unfaithful, or maybe you can't even make a designation in regard to those things you don't know well enough yet, but it's clear that they're unchurched. They, they don't go to church anymore. So someone in one of those categories about a spiritual topic, we run into people all the time. And those running into people maybe aren't the best scenario to apply this. Really, the best scenario to apply this is to those people that we run into over and over and over and over and over again at work, places that we frequent, people with whom we do things, and we know these things about them. You bring up spiritual things, if that's your purpose, if that's what life is about, if you're consumed with Christianity, you wear that name, I'm a Christian, then you're going to do what it is you were created to do. You're going to let your light shine. Those things are naturally going to come up because that's what your life is about. And that's where you're constantly watering in other areas. And then sometimes that requires some difficult conversations where we vocalize in a loving way, we speak the truth in love, we vocalize truth against error. There's so much error in our world and truth has become something that is subjective. And yet we as Christians have access to the truth in Jesus Christ. Are we willing to take a stand? Are we willing to speak about those things with others? Well, that tells us something about where we're watering. Maybe this. How many times a month, on average, do you and your family attend Bible classes? We offer those kinds of classes. What about worship services? Is that something that you're regularly a part of? Thinking about it uh, in a more personal way, when was the last time your whole family, your immediate family, had a family Bible study? Or you went through the daily Bible readings that, that we provide and go through as a congregation. Or you had a devotional together where you sang songs to God and prayed together. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time that you took your family to, to something of a spiritual nature? Maybe to a, a gospel meeting or a a camp where Bible is taught, or a VBS, or a lectureship along those lines. Is that something that you made plans for? We plan for vacations. We plan for all sorts of different things. We plan for, for sporting events, and we got to be at certain places at certain times. Have we made plans for these sorts of activities? How many minutes uh, did you spend in prayer yesterday? Do you usually pray more or less often than that? These are not intended to be guilt trip questions. I don't want it to come across in that way. I've got an odd vibe just now. And I'm not making a judgment on these things. It's up to you. It's up to you to answer these questions and say, where am I watering? Um, I've not given you an exact thing that you ought to be doing or an exact amount or anything like that. You've got to make that choice. And if there's an odd vibe, does that tell us something about what we are or aren't doing? How many people have you had into your home this month? Um, and how many of them were Christians? Now, it's interesting, isn't it? To have uh, Christians into our home, that's an opportunity to edify one another, build one another up, be around people of like mind and like faith. To have non-Christians in your home, it's an opportunity to be an example, right? So there's good things involved with both of those, but we are blessed 
We're blessed in this country, and these people who I see here, wonderful people, we're blessed to have homes, most of us, where we can practice hospitality, as we're encouraged to do as Christians. Are we doing that? How many days in a row have you read the Bible? Um, and maybe you say, wait a second, it's only two days, but this happened, and that's not usual. Okay. Is that typical, that it's been this many days in a row that I've read my Bible, at least something in my Bible? Uh, so that's, on the surface, just an amount, right? Well, let's dig deeper. When was the last time, uh, what was the last Bible book or topic that you really studied in depth? You know, you got into it and say, I'm going to go over this and I'm really going to figure it out. When was the last time something like that happened? Uh, how long ago was that? Shouldn't that be something that we're kind of doing on a regular basis? Um, and now I'm going to go to from preaching to meddling. Um, how much of your budget is assigned to giving? Yes, I mean giving to the, the work of the church here and the support that we give to people in other places, but also giving and just general benevolence. Uh, this money that we accumulate together, that we pool our resources, is, is very specific. It has very specific purposes, and we don't have authority to use it beyond those purposes. So what does that mean? That means you and I, as individual Christians, we need to be setting aside money to, to do other things in terms of, of caring for the needy and caring for the poor and giving to good causes. And then a good way of examining that is not just by the, uh, the dollar amount, right? Jesus gave a great parable on that about a widow who gave two mites and she gave from her poverty. She gave a bunch, even though it was nothing compared to these rich people who were giving out of their abundance. So how does that compare to other items in our budget? Especially we think about non-essentials like entertainment or our hobbies. Where's our money going? Well, that gives an indication of where our treasure is and where we're watering. Uh, all of these questions are on the handout, and uh, if you didn't get one, you can pick one up on your way out there uh, on each side of the four-year table. Those are just things to get you started, but the idea for this is, again, to, to ask and answer the question, does our practice match our purpose? I know what my purpose is. I wrote it down. I had to share it with all of y'all because I'm the preacher, so you know exactly what I think my purpose is. But does my life reflect what I say my purpose is as a Christian in Jesus Christ? Well, let me leave you um, this morning with three practical things to do or think about. Maybe to help you with this, the first thing that you might do is, is track your hours. Track your day. Um, you go through a day, the next morning, take just five minutes and just write down how you spent the day the day before. Uh, because I'm a preacher um, and I'm self-employed, if you want to think about it in those terms, I set my own hours, those sorts of things. Uh, something that I was taught when I was going through a preacher training program was to do that very thing. I need to track my hours to say, okay, where am I spending my time? Am I spending it on the things that I need to be spending it on? Because I don't have someone looking over my shoulder like at work uh, for many of us where it's like, okay, you've got to do this, you've got to be here in these hours, and you've got to accomplish these tasks. And that's different than a planner, right? Uh, some of you love planners. I'm not a big planner personally, but some of you just love writing in your book all the things you're going to accomplish, and that's great. But this isn't what you planned to do. This isn't what you intended to do. It's not even what you usually do. What I want to suggest is just taking a week or two and every morning writing down what you actually did the day before. And the great thing is, 
you're already at an advantage because you know you're looking for spiritual things. That's probably going to encourage you to do some spiritual things as we go through this process. Your free time is basically the time when you are self-employed. When you're employed by God to accomplish His purposes. So how are you using that time that you have to yourself? Uh, Secondly, I want to suggest this. And again, these are all suggestions. You have this list of ten questions. Maybe some of those for you, like for me, some of those hit harder, uh, hit more home than others. There There are some where I feel like I'm doing pretty well. And others where I say, you know what, I'm not watering as I should in that area of my life. Um, And so maybe what you need to do is just pick one or two or three of those things. Uh, Maybe not ten, maybe not all ten. Pick one or two or three of those things where you can be intentional. Where you can have a plan and say, I need to improve and here's how I'm going to improve in those areas. I need to create a habit where some of this watering is automatic. It's not something that I'm having to think about doing every single time I do it. It's just a part of my life. One of the memories that's uh, ingrained in my childhood, um, we, as I said, I grew up out in West Texas, um, very dry. Uh, we also had really hard water, um, so it messed all sorts of things up. Um, I came to realize maybe this was an excuse by my parents to build character or something, but dishwashers we went through dishwashers really quickly out there because the water was so hard calcified things it also made it hard to have a watering system on your lawn and so one of the images from my childhood was my dad taking uh, you know hundreds of feet of hoses and dragging those hoses everywhere in the yard um, to try and make sure that we had green space in the front and backyard uh, that was such such a difficulty it was such an annoyance to be having to do that. It would be so much easier, uh, like many of us have now, to just flip a button or set a timer, and the water water the yard waters itself with a watering system. Well, isn't that something that we can do? Can't we have spiritual things that are on a timer where it's built in? Isn't that very part of the very purpose why God told us to assemble? We have the example of Christians assembling every first day of the week. This is something regular. That should be the the case in all things that we do spiritually, or as many things as we can. Maybe pick a time, five days a week, to do your daily Bible reading as a family. Maybe set the budget ahead of time, beginning with what you're going to use for benevolence, so that that money is always there. Maybe you use an app on your phone, or a devotional book, or a podcast to keep yourself in the word, in a reg- on a regular basis. But pick two or three of those things for which you want to try and establish those kinds of habits. And then finally, number three, and here's the last thing for the lesson this morning. Talk to your family about your purpose. Maybe what you need to do is sit down. Maybe it's your family is a family of two, your, your wife or husband and yourself. Maybe you have children. Maybe there's grandchildren uh, and grandparents involved. But however big or small that family is, what you need to do is make sure everybody's on the same page. Talk to your family about your purpose. What is our purpose as a family? What are we supposed to be doing? Because we are reflecting Christ in this world. Um, Jesus gave that great analogy in Matthew chapter 12 when they said he cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub. He said a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. 
And that's just a truism. It's true of Satan. It's true of the kingdom of God. It's true of our family as well. We all need to be on the same page about what it is that we're trying to do. Talk about it because it's important. And set goals and hold each other accountable to meet those goals. Now, you tell your children this is what we're supposed to be doing, they are the best accountability partners in the world. They will not let that go by, especially if it's something you're supposed to do before bedtime and they don't want to go to bed. But we need to make sure that we're establishing those things as a family. I'll just give you one example. There's a family we know of. They decided that their purpose and theme for their family was just one word, others. So what they did, they framed that one word and they put it above every exit to their house. And so every time they left the house, they saw others because that's what their family is about. That's pretty good, isn't it? Can we establish those same sort of goals and purposes as our family? Do you know your purpose? I hope that you do. And I hope that our practice matches what our purpose is. If you're not yet a Christian this morning, um, this, lesson, this lesson really wasn't for you. Not yet. Because I'm talking about our purpose because we are, as we are recreated in Jesus Christ. The purpose that God has given us as Christians. And in order to fulfill your purpose, you must first come to Christ in humble submission. Put Christ on in baptism and rise to walk in newness of life. And if we can help you to do that even this morning, come now while together we stand and while we sing. When we walk with God.